Well, Jesus responded in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3, and said, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one, one flesh. We're going to talk about that a little bit this evening, two become one. We're going to focus on on godly couples. We're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty. We're going to bypass. We're going to assume. We're going to assume that those of us gathered here this evening understand the structure of marriage, God's design for marriage between a male and female for life and all that goes with that. We're going to get right down into the nitty-gritty two becoming one. We're going to borrow some ideals from last week to help us in this discussion of godly couples. Do you remember last Sunday we talked about sowing and reaping? Sowing and reaping. You might recall Proverbs 22 and verse 8. He that sows injustice will reap calamity. Now I want you to uh, work with me tonight and let these verses be read in light of the marriage relationship. So read it again. He that sows injustice shall reap calamity. Okay. And be turning again with me to the book of Hosea. But as you turn there, also remember Galatians 6, 7 and 8 where Paul said, God is not mocked, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall all the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit of God shall all the Spirit reap everlasting life. So we want to think in terms of the marriage relationship as we think about sowing righteousness in the marriage relationship, sowing that which is good in the marriage relationship. So Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. And then verse 13, you have plowed iniquity and you have reaped injustice and you have eaten the fruit of lies. So really, when we think about marriages, when we think about godly couples, these do not happen by accident. It doesn't just happen. It depends on what is being sown in marriage. We reap what we sow in marriage as in all of life. When we were younger and we were playing, playing Little League Baseball, they had this um, very simple contraption. It's called now, I think it's called a fielding trainer. But uh, it's just a netting that was um, put up between some bars and you could throw the baseball to the netting and it would throw it back to you. And the way you threw it to the netting depended on where the ball went. If you threw it hard, then it would come back hard. If you threw it even harder and at certain spots, then it would 
cause the ball to really uh, escalate and fly over your head. If you threw it sideways or if you threw it toward the side of the netting, then it would go crooked. So in a similar way, when we think about relationships, what we sow is what we reap. Okay. So I want, I want us to think of sowing and reaping in terms of two becoming one or in terms of godly couples. Okay. First of all, we must sow personal responsibility. We must sow in the marriage relationship, we must sow personal responsibility. We understand, you understand, you know that we own our own behavior. Our behavior, our personal behavior is ours. It's our responsibility. Okay. We have added to the quality of our life, we've added such qualities as self-control. Self-control. We understand the importance of personal responsibility. We know about Galatians 6 verse 5 that says, Every man shall bear his own burden. That teaches personal responsibility. Okay. We understand that Christians do not, do not become people who blame others. That's not Christian living. We do not blame others for conditions. Okay. We look to ourselves. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, we examine ourselves whether we are in the faith or not. We remember that the key to the prodigal son coming home, Luke 15, 17, was that he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants back home have bread enough and to spare? And so we need to sow in the marriage relationship personal responsibility. We know we own our own behavior. Okay. In this regard, we also know that change, real change, begins with personal change. We understand the importance of looking deeply into our own hearts, examining ourselves. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, that we are to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. We are to put even our own selves under the microscope and look to ourselves Real change. If we, if we want to create a, a different environment in the home or anywhere, then it begins with personal change. So we've got to sow some personal responsibility. You see, godly couples do not point fingers. Godly couples, they do not um, secretly think, well, if, if she was only this way or if she was only doing this, or if he was only this way, or if he would only do this, they don't think, godly couples don't think in those terms. They don't, they don't think secretly, well, I wish he was more like so-and-so, or I wish she was more like this other lady I know. No, they consider themselves. They consider their own behavior, and they work, and they serve to be the best spouse they can be. And that's what we mean by sowing personal responsibility. In the second place, in the two becoming one ideal, in the marriage relationship, godly couples, they sow kindness. They sow a lot of kindness. And you can imagine this, how badly needed this is. 
but they sow a lot of kindness in the home. Godly couples are not confused about what kindness is. Okay. We read about kindness. We're, we're well instructed about kindness. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. And one of the first things it says about love in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 is that love is patient and love is kind. Okay. We know that, that when we read the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that we read about kindness. Kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kindness carries with it the ideal of being honest, the ideal of being friendly, the ideal of being good, the ideal of being generous, the ideal of being merciful, compassionate, helpful, and so many other things. Kindness is the opposite of being brutal, being harsh, being hurtful, being rude. Okay. So godly couples are not confused about what kindness is. And the good thing about godly couples is they are so well motivated. It's important that we understand that to be kind, we've got to be properly motivated. We're kind because God has been kind to us. We are kind because God has been kind to us. I want to read to you from Luke chapter uh, 6 for a second. But as you are turning over Luke 6, remember the familiar statement in 1 John 4, uh, 19, where John writes, We love because He first loved us, and we love other people because God first loved us. See, we are properly motivated because God is our pattern for kindness. And looking down here to Luke chapter 6, around about verse uh, 35, Jesus instructs us, Luke 6, 35, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Now, think about your marriage. Think about the, the closest people that you are uh, to. Think about your close relationships. And read again Luke 6, 35. Love your enemies and do good and give or lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the grateful, the ungrateful, and the evil. Okay. So, well, if you're going to play a song, play a Christmas song. It was acapella. It was acapella. Okay. The key idea here is that God is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil, so that would surely motivate us to be kind to those that we are walking with, we are close to every day. See, Jesus was especially kind in his relationships. In Matthew chapter 11, we recall Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke that Jesus wants us to take upon ourselves is well-conditioned for us. 
It is, it is not rough. Okay. Uh, it does not rub you in the wrong way. It is not forced upon you. His yoke is easy. It is well conditioned. That, is, that speaks very well to the kindness of Jesus. Everything that he has in store for us is the, what is very mostly needed in our lives. It is the best uh, for us. Okay. You could uh, relate this perhaps to a, you ever had a new shoe you had to break in. Well, for a while that new shoe doesn't fit just real well. It's not well conditioned to you. It's rough on your feet. It's, it rubs you the wrong way. And after it gets broke in, wonderful. But Jesus, his yoke is, is perfect for us. Jesus is indeed, we're not just saying this, we don't just say it. Jesus is indeed the answer for every soul walking on this earth. Jesus was so kind. Even to the very end, if you flip over to Matthew 26 and verse 50, you see Jesus dealing with Judas. Verse 49 of Matthew 26, Judas came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And then Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Now Jesus was always teaching, even to the better the bitter end. He's teaching all the way to the end of his life here. He's teaching in a very crucial situation. Notice his treatment of Judas. Earlier, he had washed G Judas's feet. Here, he's calling him friend. He said, friend, you do what you have come to do. So we're well motivated. We, we're not kind to our wives. Wives are not kind to their husbands because their spouse just happens to be kind to them. Okay. We are kind, period, because God is kind. Okay. We're kind even when others are not grateful, when they, even when others have ill treatment toward us. We are kind. We are loving. We are, we are friendly okay. because God is kind. We need to sow some kindness. Now, Godly couples not only know what kindness is and not only well motivated toward kindness, but also uh, godly couples know how to apply it to their lives. They're, they are not brutal with their tongues. Far from being brutal, they're kind. They're kind. A lot of folks end up using their tongues as a weapon or as a hatchet cutting deep into the souls of their husband or their wife. Or may it not be so. May it not be so. Godly couples refrain from doing this. They know that as James instructs us in James 3, he says the tongue can be an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It can be like a wildfire if we're not very, very careful. We are reminded of Proverbs 31, and speaking of the, of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, and we 
we recall verses 10 through 12. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. That sums up kindness real well right there. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then notice verse 26 as well. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the law of kindness, the law of kindness is on her tongue. That's how we apply kindness in our marriages. We make sure our tongues, our words do not harm or uh, cut or damage. We also apply kindness by being courteous. By being courteous. If there's one thing that we need to make a direct effort in teaching our children, it is the lost art of being courteous. Courteous. Courtesy, courtesy begins with thank you. Thank you. Godly couples are constantly appreciating one another. They're constantly saying thank you to one another. It comes from their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34. And so courtesy begins with a lot of appreciation. Courtesy also means that you are very pleasant. You're very pleasant. I've always been intrigued with Paul's words in Philippians 4, verse 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then the next verse, Philippians 4, verse 5, goes along with it. Let your moderation be known to all men. One of the best translations of verse 5 there in Philippians 4, and I forget who translated it this way, but the idea of reasonableness, sweet reasonableness. That's the idea Paul is trying to, to come across. He's trying to get this across. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men, especially those you're living with in the house, we would say. That's, that's what it means to be courteous. It means to be full of appreciation, and it also means uh, to be pleasant. Okay, it also means you're able to keep your promises. God is not slack concerning His promises. Peter teaches us in 2 Peter 3 and verse 8, and we don't need to be slack in our promises. We keep our word. Okay, we do our best. If we said that we're going to be there, if we're going to do something for our wives, for our husbands, then we... We knock ourselves over to try to keep our word. You see, that's how we apply kindness. Before we leave kindness, godly couples, in being kind to one another, they have learned how to control anger. They have learned how to control anger. Very important statement by Paul in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not harsh against them. Be not harsh. Be not bitter against them. Men are especially prone to anger. To anger. For us men, when we don't understand something, 
we are prone to be angry about it. When things don't seem to be working out the way we think they ought to work out, we get mad at it. Okay. But God says we need to get a hold of that. In fact, in Ephesians 4.26, He says, Be ye angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, He says, I know you're going to get angry, but you need to get a hold of it and get a hold of it fast. Because you don't need to give place to the devil. That's the next statement. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The next statement is, don't give place to the devil. The devil loves to work inside of chaos. Anger brings chaos. And before long, we're giving our homes over to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. Don't let the devil even in, uh, in a corner. Don't, don't let him in in any way. Don't give any space to him whatsoever. All right. So we are to sow personal responsibility. We are to sow kindness. Kindness. Now I want to do a word to the husbands and a word to the wives. But first, can I share that little quip you sent the other day? Is that okay? The interview. The interview. Okay. So I'd read that before, but it's been a while. I interviewed an older lady over 80 years old and she was about to get married for the fourth time and so they're, they're interviewing her and, and uh, the, the reporter said well tell me about this, this man you're about to, to, to marry and oh he's a funeral home director very good man he's a funeral home director and they said uh, they asked the lady they said this is your fourth marriage and she says well, my fourth marriage and, and the reporter said, well, tell us about your other marriages. She said, okay. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I, I married a banker. And he got sick and, and passed on. And, and so, uh, but then later in life, I married, of all things, a, a man who was in the circus. And he was a ringmaster in the circus. And, and he had an accident at work, and, and he, he died. And she said, the one that recently died, my third husband, he died of stress. He was a preacher. He was a preacher. And so now I'm going to marry this funeral home director. And then the lady added this. She said, I tell my friends it was one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> Before we finish out this evening, a word to husbands. A word to husbands. Husbands to our wives, we need to reassure them. We need to reassure them. You see, we husbands, we ask, what am I to do with all these quirky behaviors of my wife? What are we to do with my wife's behaviors? What are we to do with all her words? What are we to do with all her worries and her concerns. What are we to do with her dozens and dozens and dozens of questions? What are we to do with this? Okay. Does your wife do that? Does she have a lot of questions? Questions? Que they have nothing to do with the present world or that which is to come. Okay. Nothing to do. What are we to do with this? Okay. And here's the answer. Every day, guys, through our words and our actions, all she wants to know is that if we had to do it all over again, we would choose her again. 
That's all they want to know. That's all they want to know. Borrowing words from Jesus as he talked to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, he says, here's your problem. You have left your first love. Remember where you fell and repent and do the first works. He, Jesus is actually borrow, borrowing there some marriage counseling concepts okay, to talk to the problems that were existent at Ephesus. But let's not forget this, guys. All she wants to know is that you would choose her again. Save your money on the marriage retreat. Save your money on the marriage seminars. Okay? That's what she wants to know. She wants to be reassured. Okay. And then we need to not only reassure her, but we need to understand her. Understand her. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Dwell with them in an understanding way. We need to understand her. Yes, we need to understand her likes and dislikes, but that's no problem. She's going to tell you all that. She's going to tell, she'll tell you all her likes and her dislikes. She'll probably tell you all of that before you ever, you know, get married. That's no problem. But it's those other things. It's the things that are not seen. The things that are not spoken. The unseen, the unspoken things. Those are the harder things. But we still must provide for her. It comes down to this, guys. There are three components of marriage. There's the physical, there's the spiritual, and there's the emotional. Now the physical usually for most of us is no problem because physical needs are immediate and they're, they're pressing, they're daily, and two can get together and take care usually of the physical needs. But because the physical needs are pressing and they're daily and they're immediate, the emotional and spiritual needs are oftentimes put on the back burner. And godly husbands will understand this and will work harder to provide for their wives, not only physical things, but also the spiritual and the emotional concepts as well. You say, well, how do I do that? You're made in the image of God. God made you to do this. So you can do this. You can do this. And you know how to do it. Okay, because God made you to do this. Okay. We understand her because she is the weaker vessel. She's the weaker vessel, according to Peter there in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. We understand that, that God did not make her to take on the brunt of the world. He made us to take on the brunt of the world. And she, her role is more in the background. That's the way God created her and him. Understand her. And then we have to lead her. We must lead her. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, the idea is that in the end we are heirs together of the grace of life. Husband and wife, that's our goal, is to be heirs together. Heirs together of the grace of life. We help each other go to heaven. We, are, we help each other become Christians. We help each other live the Christian life. We are heirs together of the grace of life. We have both, we have our Heavenly Father as our Father, and He has promised us an inheritance in heaven. It is our responsibility to each other to help each other get there. Heirs together of the grace of life. It's a, it's a beautiful phrase there in 1 Peter 
uh, 3 and verse 7. How, how do you come to have this grace of life? Well, Romans 6 verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's God's ideal. That's God's ideal, is that both husband and wife have been raised to walk in newness of life, so therefore they are heirs together of the grace of life. And then they are, they are a tremendous team of inspiration to each other, to their children and to their relatives and to everybody uh, that they know. By the way, when, when we sow with the end in mind, and this is what we must do, guys, as we sow good things in marriage, we must sow with the end in mind. The end in mind is this thing right here, the, being heirs together of the grace of life. When we sow with the end in mind, then that creates proper communication. How is that? Well, if your wife knows you to be fundamentally aimed at get, getting to heaven and helping everybody, helping her and helping the children and help everybody get to heaven, then she's not going to worry if, if you have, if you say something as you walk by and it might not sound just right, she's not going to get blown out of the water by that because she knows you fundamentally that your goal is that you want to be heirs together of the grace of life. She trusts in that and so uh, communication flows pretty free uh, when you have that in mind. That's your end goal. Now to the wives, still in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, wives ought to submit to their own husbands. That's one of the first duties of a wife is to, is to submit. When a wife submits to her own husband, she does two things. She reflects and she respects. She reflects Jesus himself because he submitted to the Father's will in coming to provide salvation on the earth but also she is respecting God's order of creation when she submits to her husband. Think about that. Wives, as you submit, then you are reflecting the very pattern of Jesus Christ himself. That's why it's so possible for wives to, leave, to lead their unbelieving husbands uh, to the Lord because they are continually showing Submission to him, which is a pattern of what Jesus did for everybody. And what does it mean to submit? Okay. People have written big books about that. Yeah. Let's try this. To submit just simply means you do everything that he asks you to do except disobey a Christ. You do everything that he would ask you to do except disobey Christ. You let him know that up front. You're clear to him up front. He understands that. You understand each other. I'll do anything that you want me to do if it's, if it's at all possible, but I will not disobey Jesus. That sums up submission pretty good in my mind. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 to concentrate more on inward beauty than outward beauty, but we're running out of time. You can read that for yourself. But the inward spirit, the quiet and meek spirit is in God's sight of great price. You see it there in 1 Peter 3 and verse 4. <clears throat> so in marriage, we sow what we reap. If we sow righteousness in marriage, then 
God promises that it will be a righteous uh, marriage. We pray for our homes. We pray for our, our marriages. These principles, as you very well know, are not just good to apply to the marriage relationship, but for every relationship on earth. God's word is for everyone. But we wanted to concentrate, since we had touched on the sowing and reaping, we want to see how that works in the marriage relationship. And it fits it, uh, in my mind, it fits it really well. We pray for our homes. We pray for everybody. We pray for our souls. You know, the most important thing is what Peter says there in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. To, to have that grace of life. That your prayers be not hindered. You know, if, if your goal is heaven, you're going to be praying a lot. You're going, to, you're going to be going to God in prayer. Maybe you need to do that this evening. Maybe we need to do that together. Maybe there's some struggles in life. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having struggles. Okay, it's what we do with those struggles. We must turn those over to God. It may, it may very well be that there are some struggles that you need to pray with the brethren here about and maybe do some further study. It may be that you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism, be raised to walk in the newness of life. Will you come this evening right now as we stand together and as we sing?